This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 97, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, John and I are talking about his Illinois and my Ohio late rut hunts, tips for selecting an outfitter, and much more. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday. <clears throat> Happy Wednesday to you, man. This, uh, this cold is not letting go. Hope everyone out there is doing well. I hope you have all recovered from your Thanksgiving Day food coma. I hope you had a little bit of time to get into the timber and uh, get a few, uh, I guess for Ohio PA, a few last archery hunts in before gun season opened. We're in full swing here in Pennsylvania for our for gun season, <clears throat> which also coincides with uh, getting sick season as well, which I'm, if you can't already tell, I'm a little, a little, just a little bit under the weather. Um, the one good thing though about cold season is that it coincidentally, or maybe not so, uh, runs in unison with hot toddy season, which is not a terrible thing. So you are free to consume as much bourbon you would like so long as it is in the form of a hot toddy and no one will question you you know people will ask you it's like have you been drinking a lot lately no been sick have a cold same cold for three months can't seem to shake it that is actually a quote from a dennis leary joke uh which is actually one of my favorite uh cds i'm gonna date myself here cds um comedy cds is dennis leary from like the 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 mid 90s ish um, he speaks about having a cold and uh, using NyQuil and it being, being the 13th step to recovery is NyQuil. I'm getting way off topic and had way too many hot toddies. So I'm going to go ahead and just cut to the chase here. John and I are, it's uh, just John and I today. We're going to be talking about uh, my Ohio hunt, you know, headed back, I headed back out there after Thanksgiving 
uh, to try to get after that one big deer that I had on camera and had been chasing during the, my rutcation. He, of course, went to Illinois. He had an opportunity to do a Sitka hunt uh, with Sitka gear. It was a, a, a deal with those guys. Um, headed out there to do a little bit of hunting and, uh, it was actually with an outfitter. And so he had some, you know, it was the first time John's ever done that. Um, you know, neither of us to this point until, you know, he recently went, um, have ever done an outfitted hunt for, you know, for whitetails and so forth. So, um, it was an interesting experience for him. He had some takeaways and he's passing those along to all you out there listening. If anyone out there listening would ever consider, or would like to consider doing a hunt with an outfitter, you know, he has some questions that he would ask if he were doing the planning for, for himself. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and talk about the, our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. We are bought, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest, lastest, fastest, cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus trail cameras have to offer but just can't fit a $200 budget camera in their, or $200 camera in their budget rather. No worries though, a budget friendly camera is backed that's backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek's 145 bucks and comes in at the same with the same proprietary shell design as the Lift series cameras. Same 5-year warranty and unmatched customer service, photo, video, time lapse and hybrid modes all with a single sim, simple, jeez. Simple single line backlit LED display and you get about 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about Exodus Trail Cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. If you dig what you see, save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. And now without further ado, and before I lose the complete ability to communicate in the English language, let's go ahead and get John on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today you are getting the lovely musings of one Johnny Utah Mulligan and one Clint Campbell. What's going on, brother? In the house, represent. What's going on, dude? Dude, I am. we were talking, I know, just a little bit before we jumped on here, but I'm going to try to hold it together since I'm under the weather. I'm going to try to see how long I can resist from hacking my, my lungs out while we're, uh, while we're recording this jammer. But other than that, man, I'm feeling tip-top. You? <laughs> other than about to cough and puke my brains out um i have body aches and chills slight yeah. pneumonia bronchitis and the flu all mixed together i'm feeling great hey man i got bronchitis ain't nobody got time for that you know what ain't I'm nobody saying? got time for that yeah sweet sweet may brown is that her name sweet may brown was that it it was some, uh, yeah 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 it, it uh-huh. was something it was sweet something brown I don't know if it was May I may have made up May yeah, yeah I think it was yeah I think it was May brown. Like May yeah Is that late? yeah awesome. man, I'm feeling like crap dude yeah we were we were talking just before this and I uh I totally bailed on work today from feeling like crap so nothing like having like a four day weekend and then not being able to make it in on Monday <laughs> you know what I mean it's, it's not like, a bad thing <laughs> yeah yeah so I woke up today I'm just like yeah this isn't gonna happen today it just felt like awful whatever this thing is that i that i have it's the it's the bronchial the bronchial pneumonia wambania is what i like to call it that's how i refer to it 
So we'll That's see. Great. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm all I'm all dosed up on Tussin right now, dude. You know, I, I took the stuff, the good stuff with the codeine. So I'm 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 flying right now. So we're we're doing good. So hopefully we'll last a, about an hour before I before I start to peter out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I'll get good on. Deal. Yeah. Then I'll get on the hard stuff. We'll get on the hot toddy after this. You know what I mean? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. L- little mix. Little little mix it up before you go to bed. Good deal. But uh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So today, John and I thought that we would do a little catch-up because I know we just had... Well, first off, happy Thanksgiving or belated Thanksgiving to everyone out there. I want to wish... I hope everyone had a good a good holiday and wasn't sick like me over the holiday. I uh, hope everyone got a chance to get a little bit of hunting in uh, as well. I know here in PA, um, John and I are recording this on Monday. Um, you know, so this today is actually the Pennsylvania gun opener. Um, so I hope, hope everyone out there is having a good time in the timber. Uh, but John and I both got an opportunity to get out and do just a little bit of hunting here over the uh, over the holiday. So we'll kind of cover that. Um, and then we'll also, you know, one of the things I know we mentioned, you know, in the pre- past podcast um, before the holiday um, was that, you know, John specifically was going to be headed to Illinois to, to, to hunt uh, on a Sitka hunt uh, with an outfitter. And so there's some lessons learned that I think he has and, and his, in his experience that we should uh that we should talk about because, you know, it's something that was new for John and it's something that I've never done either. Um, so I think it would be kind of cool to kind of see what types of things you learned along the way that you might be able to pass on to us, uh, us rookies when it comes to outfitter hunts and uh, what things to, you know, ask for, what things to look out for. And then I think we'll talk a little bit about late season because I know you have a couple tags left to fill. Um, I believe your landowner's mm-hmm. tag and one other. And then I, have, of course, have my buck tag and like two doe tags to fill here in PA. So that is kind of the game yep. plan, brother. Are you down for the jam? Yep, I'm ready to rock. Cool, man. Well, first, as an icebreaker, this would be like speed dating. It's like we're, we're going on our first yes. date. So. We're going to do, I have it's two. It's been 20 years since I've been on a date. Be gentle. Yeah, I know. I know. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is going to be super awkward because I've not been on like one in 20 years either. So it should, should get real weird here real soon. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> two trivia questions for you. So I don't know. I was just thinking about this today for whatever reason. Oh, actually it was from my daughter. She came home and the teacher had a question for like a geography question that she had to answer. Um, and she got it right. And she was super excited about it. So then we started kind of talking about it over dinner you know, the same type of question, but just expanding it because I think he gave the class multiple choice, uh, you know, a handful of options and she chose the right option. So I was like, well, let's open it up for the entire U.S. So got me to thinking. And I want to ask you, we'll, uh, we'll call this segment the Ask John Anything segment. And maybe we'll make this a recurring <laughs> theme and, and they could get weird. And these ones aren't weird, yeah. but Ask John Anything theme or segment could, could, you know, make a, make an appearance periodically during this podcast. So for this installment, we're going to talk about the states and their precipitation, right? So what state do you think receives the most rainfall in the U.S. annually? Man, I'm probably going to sound like a real, like, idiot. Um, I don't know why I want to say, like... Take I mean, me through, doesn't take, it like take, take pour me through your, in Seattle? Yeah, it, yeah. Like, I'm I mean, thinking it's, like it's it's known for being band. rainy. Yeah, yeah. So just just take me through your thinking here. Walk me through your thought process. So my thought process is everybody just talks about how much it's always raining in Seattle and it's always gray skies and gloomy and stuff like that. So that 
makes me think that it just rains there all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's probably like some random state that you would never think of that, you know, surpasses surpasses Washington by like, I don't know. Right. Just so copious that, amounts of rainfall every year. Right. So is that your is that your final answer? Washington? <sighs> Washington or Florida? Okay, so you and I our thought process was similar. I was like Yeah. I was like, all right, so it has to be near near like a big body of water, right? So that's number one. Yeah. That was kind of like my first criteria. I was like, and you mm-hmm. always hear about Seattle being, you know, a rainy kind of gloomy spot like you had mentioned. So I kind of went Washington mm-hmm. too originally. And then I also went kind of like I was in the Florida area as well. I was like the panhandle. I was like Louisiana, super yeah. rainy, like like that panhandle area just in general, just as wet, humid, near water, of course, mm-hmm. right near the um, the Gulf, you know, which has a, a ton of rain. And so yeah. I I ultimately went with Oregon because I was like something told me it wasn't Washington, and I was like I'm going to go Oregon for some reason. Okay. Right. Survey says Hawaii. Most rain. See, that's almost a trick question. Yeah. Because I don't even think of Hawaii like as part of the U.S. or you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. And that and I was like, if I would have thought about it, I was like and and considered an island. Of course, it's encompassed by water. Right. Exactly. I was like, but it's so beautiful there all the time that you don't ever think about it being rainy. Right. Um, So. All right. Florida's got to be like number two, though, right? You know, I didn't even look at the rankings. I think it was in the top five. I want to say like the top five oh, okay. was like was Hawaii, um, Washington, Florida, and then there was another. Maybe Louisiana was in there too. I'm trying to I another think that, coastal water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I I got it wrong too. My wife got it wrong too. She actually said Alaska, um, which I didn't think was necessarily true. But you know, that's neither here nor there. She was wrong yet again. We'll just chalk that up to the lit to the <laughs> to the tally mark. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> uh, all right. So inversely, right? What state mm-hmm. receives the least amount of rainfall annually in the U.S.? Hmm. So give me your, give me your thought process here. What are we thinking? So the the first thing that comes to mind is like dry heat yep. climate type places. Mm-hmm. Um some place where I might see tumbleweeds rolling around, right? Right. Uh so I, I'm I'm like Arizona, Nevada, something like that. Right. You we're we're in the same thought process. We had the same kind of mm-hmm. thought process. So what do you think? Arizona. All right. So before I give you, so I had the same thought process where I was like, it's got to be in that region, mm-hmm. right? And I added, yep. I added in New Mexico was the other one I was okay. thinking of. And I was like, you yep. know what? I was like, I'm going to go New Mexico. I was like, cause Arizona just seems too obvious. I was like, and they yep. do, and they do get rain when they get it. It just doesn't do anything. Cause it just completely runs off. Right. Cause it's a, yeah. a desert. Right. So, <clears throat> and they, so they will get rain. They have a period of time that they do get rain if I'm not mistaken. So then I was like, it's Nevada and New Mexico. I was like, and I feel like New Mexico being slightly further south, closer to the equator, mm-hmm. would be a little more, a little more arid. I was like, so I went New sure. Mexico, but in fact, mm-hmm. it, it is Nevada. They get, Nevada. yeah, they Dang. get a total of yep. nine and a half inches of rain a year. How crazy is that? That's wild. Yeah. yeah I mean, I haven't been, I haven't been in Vegas uh, but just a few times, 
but it's never rained when I've been there. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I, I assumed it had to be somewhere in that region. Yeah, just because I can I can imagine that. And you imagine like all that desert stuff with a bunch of rain. That'd be that stuff would get pretty soupy and nasty in there. Oh, dude, it'd be it'd be miserable. There'd I be live- a lot of those old mobsters that would wash up to the surface. <laughs> yes, they would, man. I used to live I lived there for a hot minute. Um, which was a really Did weird, you? yeah, which was a really weird place to live. I lived there for like six months and I was like, I got to get out of this place. This is terrible. Yeah. Were you close to Vegas? Uh, yeah, I was actually, I lived in Vegas. It was where I was living. Um, yeah. So I That's used to, so weird. Yeah, it is. It's a weird place to live, man. It's like, cause it's such it a is. transient town and everyone is there just Correct. to like lose their mind. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what everyone is there for. You know what I mean? They don't go there to like have wholesome fun. It's like, I'm going to go there and be a train wreck for a week and then go back to my wife and kids. <laughs> that's like the, yeah. that's the, the MO for Vegas. But the coolest place and to I've go. I've met some locals out there that, that do live there and mm-hmm. live there their whole lives. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm like, so do you guys come, you know, do you go to, you know, do you go to the strip a lot? And they're like, no. I'm like, how, like, how's that, how does that work? You only live five minutes away from the strip. They're like, yeah, we just, we, this is the first time I've been here in like three years. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's one of I'm those like, things. That's so weird. It is. But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is like, I, I understand it. Like when I lived in Florida too, living in Orlando, it's like I lived there for almost 10 years and I never went to Disney mm-hmm. once while I lived there. I didn't go to sure. Disney until I moved away. We took our daughter when she was like four or something like that down for a vacation. Yeah. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it's like, it's such a tourist attraction that it's just a, a perpetual disaster. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. so you just kind of learn to stay away from it. My favorite place to go was actually old. The old strip was uh, Piedmont street, which that yep. that's like the seedy underbelly where like all the original like casinos are. And like the really, you know, not that I'm, con- you know, recommending anyone do this, but like, not that I went, but I heard that there's really seedy strip clubs there. So that's, yep. that's the, uh, that's like where the like the underbelly of of Vegas is, where like the the freak show really is. So I would go there and walk around and just kind of people watch because that place was just like, that's where people who didn't have like the the ton of money to throw away and like the big casinos would go just kind of like run amok. So it was kind of a an interesting place to go check out. But yep, it was a nice place to be from, like you know, or move from. I guess it was it was nice to kind of be there for six months and be able to say, yeah, I lived in Vegas for a while, but I really don't have a desire to go back and uh, and visit or, or live there ever again. So happier, yeah. and happier in 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 Whitetail Land, I guess we could say. So speaking of Whitetails, let's do a little update, and I guess I'll start with my Ohio update and. Um, you know, I guess we can probably, you know, I know that at the end of the year, we always like to, or at the beginning of, you know, once the season's over, we like to do like a wrap up kind of show where we talk about things we've learned and, and stuff like that. And we're not all the way through our season and stuff, but we can talk about maybe a few of the things that we may have done differently or whatever, since the rut's kind of over. And, you know, this is really kind of like, <clears throat> if we were, if we were a play, this would be kind of like the first act of the archery there season. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. we're at intermission. You can go ahead and get up and take a leak, you know, and uh, get something to yeah. eat. Um, so I'll give yep. my, my final Ohio update since I managed to make it back with a little bit of, I guess, you know, uh, the early lessons learned, if you will. So Thanksgiving was on Thursday. Of course, they did the family jam. Uh, my plan was to head out right after dinner on Thursday and hunt uh, Friday and Saturday um, and then head back home Saturday night. So that, that way I could be home on Sunday with my family to kind of decorate our Christmas tree and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> so that went as, went as planned, but I started coming down with whatever this uh, whatever this disaster of a cold is. And, uh, and it got 
pretty cold. I think whenever I left Thursday after Thanksgiving dinner, it was like 19 or 21 degrees, something like that. So it wasn't wasn't real pleasant out. And I know that that's kind of been the the case for the most part across the the Midwest. So I'm not you know experiencing anything, and you know anyone else there out there listening didn't experience this past week. Um, so I headed out there. Um, you know the plan was really just a truck camp those two days I didn't have a place to stay. So I just kind of went to the campground that I typically stay at, got a campsite and then just was planning to stay, you know, sleep in my truck for the, uh, for the two days, um, you know, in the, in, in the back seat with a sleeping bag, essentially. Um, the weather wasn't looking real promising the second day. Um, you know, Friday's weather looked really good. It was going to be, I think the, the high or the, you know, in the morning, whenever I was going to get ready to head out, it was going to be about 19 degrees, but it was going to actually warm up during the day. It was going to cap out at about 50, which was like a pretty big swing. So I was anticipating, you know, the morning, you know, in, in late morning, early afternoon would probably be the best I would get. And then as the day went on, I'd probably, if, if there were, was action, it would probably start to peter out, you know, as the day kind of went and as, as things warmed up. Um, and I was really kind of looking forward to hunting this time frame. You know, I know I've t- mentioned, you know, your buddy Don Higgins a couple times in the past and, you know, hopefully at some point we'll get him on to get his perspective on these things. But I was really looking forward to hunting this particular time frame because, um, I know, you know, one of the things that Don talks about a little bit every, every now and then is that that is actually one of the, his favorite times of rut to hunt. And, it's, you know, it's one of those things where if you think about it from a, you know, biology perspective, you know, when you have your earliest does coming in and maybe they're coming in like the, you know, around that thanks, or Thanksgiving, around that uh, Halloween time frame, right, ish, mm-hmm. um, the earliest does, right? If those does don't mm-hmm. get bred, you know, and you're waiting for them to cycle back in in their next 30, you know, it should be, they should be getting warm to where they should be interesting bucks, around that Thanksgiving time frame, right? That should be whenever they should, they may not be ready mm. to be bred mm-hmm. yet, but they should start um, giving off their pheromones, you know, if you, if you yep. will. Um, and so I was really, and I know, you know, that's a lot of guys and girls, you know, or just a lot of hunters in general will talk about that time period specifically being time where you can find a giant get up, right? Um, yep. There's less does that are going to be hot. So they're really kind of cruising, trying to find those last does. Um, and those are, that's, you know, oftentimes when you'll see that giant that you didn't get on camera that no one's seen, you know, and just, uh, he pops out of nowhere. So I was really kind of stoked to kind of, you know, hunt, hunt this, you know, particular couple of days. My plan was to go back to the ridge that I had hunted in the past because it has, a, a, a do, has doe bedding, has a group of does. Who knows if they had been bred or not? I have no clue. You know what I mean? But, you know, I really didn't have a whole lot else to go off of. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of roll the dice in that, in that area. So, you know, long story short is I basically, you know, hopped up in there early in the morning, freezing ass cold, uh, hopped into my saddle, got into the tree that I needed to be in where I was seeing more of the action the day before I left, you know, my, my rutcation and, uh, was feeling pretty good about the, about the setup. Um, I did hear one deer below me, um, on that logging road that kind of, that sits below me, but never saw what it was. It never, it never made its way up to me. Um, it just kind of hung out down there. I could hear it moving around. It was really still, really crunchy, so it was really easy to hear. Um, and then I could hear it moving, and it sounded as though it was moving away, and then it just never made another sound, and that's, that was that was about it. Um, and unfortunately, that was the only action I would get all day. The rest of the day, I got pretty much shut out. I don't, I don't really count that being a deer encounter because I didn't see it. I could only hear it. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was, I was shut out that day. Um, you know, so... While I was sitting in the tree, you know, I was looking at the forecast for the next day and it was going to be freezing rain um, and just kind of some really shitty weather, 
you know, all day the next day um, with winds at about, you know, again, around 15 to 20 miles per hour, which seemed to be what I can't get away from for the, for the most part for this season. It seems like anytime I hunt, I have high winds. Um, and I was, of course, you know, not feeling well. And so I kind of made the decision at that point that I was like, with the weather being what it was going to be and the wind the way it was going to be and me having to travel seven and a half hours to get home, I was like, I really shouldn't be driving and freezing rain and sleet and all that stuff on my way back. So I figured I would just kind of stick out that hunt on Friday. And then, you know, I would just actually jump, jump in my truck and drive back to Philly that night, which is what I did. But before I did that, I was like, you know what? I'm getting shut out. I want to take a walk around and see if there's been any additional sign laid down since I left. Right. Cause one of the other things I don't know about this spot, because the first year I hunted it, I killed in three days. And so I didn't get a whole lot of Intel about it. And then I put a buddy in my spot. And so I didn't really want to be walking around, busting up his, his hunt. Didn't hunt it last year, hunted in a different area. And then this year, of course, was hunting there and hunted, you know, whatever it was eight days. And, you know, this past weekend would have been the ninth day um, on that Ridge. And I wanted to kind of take a walk around and see, you know, is the time period that I'm thinking is the best time to be there really the best time? Or am I seeing good action and I'm missing great action, right? So I hopped down with like just a little bit of daylight left so I could take a quick walk about. And while I was in my saddle, I could see, you know, when I was kind of scoping with my binders, I could see what I thought was a scrape a little ways away from me, right? Because all the leaves were off and stuff so I could see a little further. And so I, I walked over there, dude, and there was a scrape. I posted it on Instagram that was like, dude, I don't even, I don't even know how big it is. I mean, I wear a size 11 boot and I put my boot over the top of the scrape just to kind of give some context as to how big this thing is. I mean, it's probably four feet round, four feet, just huge. You know what I mean? Just hammered too. And it wasn't, it wasn't super old because there wasn't a bunch of leaves over it, but I imagine it was probably made the week prior is what I'm kind of thinking, you know what I mean? Or it had been last mm-hmm. hit and freshened up the week prior. So I was like, damn it. That wasn't there whenever I was there during my rutcation, right? So I was like, so things did start to heat up. So then I kind of kept walking, headed down to that logging road, you know, where I kind of kept hearing deer during the course of the my trip. And then, you know, the one I heard that day and was just kind of walking. And I was like, eh, there's a rub. Oh, there's another rub. And then I saw another rub that was just like one of those ones where the tree is just completely shredded. And all the shavings were laying on the ground. So that's relatively fresh, right? I probably no more than a handful of days old. And so what I kind of figured out was that the last morning that I hunted rutcation, I saw three bucks, six deer, and, and three of them were bucks from daylight to like noon, right? Pretty good action. I feel like that was the beginning of it really getting cranking. And I feel like I, sh- I left probably like, like three days too early. You know what I mean? Like I should have stayed like another three days. I would have been like right in the money or I should have showed up right before Halloween because I had a ton of daylight activity on my cameras. Like the third, like the 29th, 30th and 30, wait, no, the 30th, 31st and the first and the second were like the four days that they were really active before I got there. And so I, I basically caught that in between period where it was going to be good, but not great. I feel like, so that was kind of my learning, you know, for this year for that particular spot was I think I can probably press. I either need to get there a little earlier and hunt through Halloween and into the early part of November, or I need to get there like midweek, the first week of November and hunt like the, you know, the back half, the first week of November and in the second week of November. Cause it feel like that's really when the action heats up. 
So that that was kind of my learning, man. What do you what do you think? Do you feel like the sign that I had seen? Do you think it would warrant kind of like re recalibrating my I guess the days or my approach to that spot? Or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, my thing with with scrapes has always been, you know, they're really really fresh before the rut, and it kind of intensifies right like literally right as um, not that first 5% are popping off, maybe that first 15% are starting to pop off, you know? Right, right. Um, right that moment right up before then, <clears throat> I think that's when things really get hot. And then during that peak rut, the scrapes kind of go cold. Right. Um, and then, of course, once, uh, I, you know, I've I referred to it before as the romance period. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the buck finds his first doe, you know, he courts her for a few days, pins her down for a few days, doesn't leave her side, doesn't let her go anywhere, and then he breeds her. Right. After that, then it seems like those bucks start hitting their scrapes again hard. Like, okay, I just found something I really like, and now I want to do it a lot more. And so they, they just go wild. Um, and, you know, and, and all of my scrapes do that every year. They're humongous scrapes. They get covered with leaves for like a week it seems like and then maybe even two weeks and then just all of a sudden they just get thrashed again and open back up now it's not as long it's usually not as many days um that they get intensified i wouldn't be surprised if that scrape you found was a scrape that literally just got open reopened back up again within the last few days yeah and that's kind of what i was thinking too because i could see like i could see hoof prints in it you know what i mean where they like where yep. they, they were pawing the ground or whatever and so i actually texted chad and was telling him i was, I was like I, I was like i feel like you know i i couldn't have got there any earlier because of the holiday and stuff like that i was like but i feel like if i would have been able to get out there three days prior to that i probably would have been in good shape you know or if i could have stayed yep. th- three days longer on the back end of our trip probably would have been in good shape you know i was like i just feel like i I showed up early. Or I showed up too late for the first party. I hung out whenever the keg got tapped, and then you know, yep. and, and, and then it, it ran out. And then they brought a new keg in of like really good beer, and I was gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's kind of yeah. that's kind of what it felt like. You know what I mean? But yeah, you know that's hunting though, man. It's like it's one of those things where and look, could it be? You know, the other thing is, could it have? could the high winds that we were having pin deer down a little bit more? Now the rut will happen. And I know that regardless of the wind, regardless of the heat, regardless of the temperature, right. It just has it, how, yeah, how, yeah. how visible is it might be partially determined by the Correct. type of weather you're having. Right. So that's right. Cause yeah. it, it might take place more in the cover than it does out where you can see. And, and it may have been going wild around me and I just couldn't hear it because it was so wet and it was so windy, you know, the days that I was there, uh-huh. um, you know, yeah. so I'm just, I'm wondering too, it's like, did, was it really going off while I was there and maybe I didn't see some of it because I couldn't hear it and didn't know that it was going on. I mean, that's a possibility, you know what I mean? So I don't feel like I was there at the complete wrong time. I feel like, I feel like if I had it to do it over again, right. You know, revisionist history here that I would have, I would have showed, I would have broken up. I would have broken the trip up and I would have shown up like around a day or like a day or two before Halloween and hunted like four days over the course of like the 30th, 31st, first and second, and then backed out. And then came back like a week later and then hunted, you know, another four days. If I had it to do over again, I'd maybe try that approach. That way I could try to catch the best part, you know, the best sections of the beginning and, and, the, and the back end of it. So I don't know. Maybe that's something I'll try in the future. But uh, regardless, it was a good trip. I always enjoy being out in Ohio. Um, I love that ridge. 
Um, it's one of those places where it's like I, I can always count on it to show me some cool stuff, and it did this year. The chips just didn't fall for me. You know, maybe I'll get a chance to get out for a late season out in that particular area. Be, you know, not quite sure. Not going to count on it, but that's where I'm at with the Ohio man. I know you were uh, you were in Illinois, so let's. Uh, I want to hear uh, what, what what was happening in the uh, Illini state. Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need tools that can keep up. We don't baby our gear, taking on whatever Mother Nature dishes out. Check out Wicked Tree Gear hand saws and pull saws at wickedtreegear.com. Use the promo code TRUTH to save yourself 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. And get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. Yeah, so um, I had a great opportunity. Um, Sitka... Uh, being a part of the ambassador team, um, you know, has some pretty cool perks and, and they sent, uh, a good friend of mine, Brock Bolt in Wisconsin. They sent him and I to, uh, to an outfitter there in, in Illinois. And, um, they also sent a photographer, Austin Thomas, very, very talented photographer, uh, does a ton of work with, uh, with Sitka and Matthews and several others. But, um, we were, you know, we were there to hunt, but we were also there to to do some photos um, for a new line that Sitka is releasing next year. So that was kind of cool uh, to be a part of that deal. So I've never hunted Illinois, and first off, I've never hunted with an outfitter before. So, you know, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I was looking forward to it for a lot of reasons, um, always looking forward, you know, to a hunt. But, um, you know, I guess for me, I had always, maybe I had some misconceptions about outfitting. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a phase, there was a time in my life where I thought all outfitted hunts were high fence hunts, Um, you know, when I was younger. And then as I got older, then I started learning, oh, there's some outfitters that are fair chase and stuff too. And, um, you know, my thing was always, well, you go to an outfitter and these guides, like they know these properties inside and out and, and they can really help you. They can cut that learning curve down. You know, they can help get you in position, um, where they've been seeing a lot of deer and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, we went out and, you know, it's not, it wasn't ideal conditions. Kind of like you talked about the weather was a little warmer than expected. I mean, granted, it was 30 degrees in the mornings, mm-hmm. um, but it was shooting up to like 55, 60, 63, you know, in the afternoons. Right. Um, so I was, I was doing a lot of um, <clears throat> trying to get into some CRP and some, um, some hedgerows and some timber lines and fingers and stuff like that uh, in the mornings. And then in the evenings, I was pretty much just going to greens, trying right. to sit on oats and turnips and radishes and they had a little bit of cut corn as well and i hugged hugged some of those areas a little bit here and there but you know illinois also had a uh, a shotgun season that had just got over with mm-hmm. um so you know there was a few things that were kind of stacked against us um very first morning in a tree i i rattled in this you know 125 inch eight pointer and you know real pretty deer but you know, not the caliber deer that I was looking for. Um, and this outfitter also has a 130 inch minimum as well on any eight pointers, 140 inch minimum on nine and above. Mm-hmm. Um, now that being said, if a seven year old 
120 inch buck came walking by by all means there is some common sense factor to it as well right um so first morning like i said i had 125 inch that i that i rattled in and i'm like this is off to a good start tater you know what i mean i'm like (laughs) i was feeling i was feeling pretty good i'm like this is going to be a good week i'm like hell this might be a good morning and i might be back at the lodge you know what i mean right um saw a lot of does um you know i had a had a probably 150 inch deer cutting across some crp he wasn't dogging does but he was just following does and just walking with them he was like content to be a part of ladies night or something you know um it's kind of weird but uh i'm like come on man i'm grunting at him i'm throwing the kitchen sink at him he wouldn't even look my direction um (laughs) but he was pretty solid buck and then we went through a phase where he didn't matter where we went to. It was just doe after doe after doe after doe. You know what I mean? Right. And so we couldn't, uh, we just didn't, we just, we just couldn't get on him. Brock wasn't seeing a whole lot. What, you know, wasn't seeing a whole lot of movement as well. And then the last day, um, he actually rattled in a pretty good buck. Just didn't get him into, into bow range. Um, he was in a real brushy, brushy, little nasty little drawl, and there was just, uh, you know, he needed the buck to be like 30 yards to have a to have an opportunity, and and the buck came into about 50 or 60 yards. He said so, um, came close, and then that last night, um, I came pretty close. Um, I had a buck that was about 100 yards away, and actually Austin spotted him. Um, the way we set up is we were actually facing each other. Austin set up in a tree about 20 yards away from me and um, uh, maybe even 10 yards away from me, actually. Um, so he was doing his photo thing, and you know, and I was you know, just doing my thing, trying to hunt. And so he spotted the buck from behind me, and you know, he kind of made the motion like he's walking like away, you know? Right. So <clears throat> I grunted at him. He stopped, looked our direction kept going i'm like hmm i don't want to grunt again so this time i gave a short little grunt and then i gave a snort wheeze and that got his attention he spins around on a dime and he comes right in now i needed this buck to cross this creek and i could shoot him in the creek or i could wait for him to cross the pond you know to to cross the creek to get up on this dike and you know, my thought was if he goes into the creek, he's coming to the dike. You know what I mean? He's not going to just stand there in the water. Right. Um, it was like he basically Tom turkeyed me. So anybody listening that's been turkey hunting, you know, you call in a Tom and he gets to a fence. And it's like for some stupid reason, those Toms will not go under or in between the barbed wire. And they sure as hell won't fly over the barbed wire. Right. They'll just sit there and walk back and forth along the fence line like, oh, I can't cross it. You know, confused. Um, yeah. And that's what this buck did. Like he just would not cross this creek like it was an imaginary wall to him. And for 10 or 15 minutes, he paced back and forth. And I had grunted at him a couple times uh, when he started to go away. And it spun him, and then he came back again. But he just, like, stayed parallel to us and just would not cross it. And I'm like, well, I can't keep calling at him. He obviously doesn't see a buck over here, and I'm just going to educate him, you know. But um, right. then I'm thinking, well, he's trying to turkey me. I'm going to turkey him. So I gave him the old silent treatment. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work either. So I'm like, screw it, you know. But right. um, 
we saw another buck mid fifties. He was busted up real bad. Uh, didn't have a shot on him. He was, you know, 60 yards, 70 yards out. But, um, that last night I, I thought it was going to happen. And technically I had one more day of the hunt. Um, but you know, we were looking at the weather the whole time and the, we were getting weather updates. They were calling for 40 mile an hour winds, um, just piss load of rain and it was supposed to get nasty, nasty snow. And it's a good thing that I left when I did um, that the night of the fifth night and didn't stay for the sixth because uh, I might still be in Illinois. Um, we got about 12 to 14 inches, and some of the drifts are almost two foot in some places. So yeah, it was probably a good thing that I went ahead and skedaddled. But um, it, it, it was interesting. You know, it was it was fun hanging out with the guys in the evening and, and talk about the hunts and you know, stuff like that. I'm 40 years old. I've eaten a tag or two in my day. So, right. um, you know, when you've got a small window to get it done, you know, you can put a little bit of pressure on yourself. And, but, you know, I think you also got to keep it in reality as to this is five days. Yeah. How many times have you hunted 30 days on your own farms and not filled your buck tag? Right. What makes you think you can fill it in five in a new place? Um, yeah. So, and as far as, you know, I don't know how you want to get into, like, um, the takeaways from an outfitter. Right. Well, let's, um, let's, let's do this first. Like, so before we get before we get into the outfitter specifically, what's, like, what was your kind of, I guess, um, on this hunt specifically, not outfitter related, but just hunting related, anything that you kind of learned on this trip that you were, that you were like, eh, man, maybe if I had this to do over, I would do this a little bit differently or, hmm, man, I never really thought of that whenever this happened. You know what I mean? Like, was there any, any so, moments like that? Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, so they had some cut corn, and strategically, they had done some oats next to their cut corn. And, um, you know, there's that part of a deer's stomach that they like to balance out their diet a little bit, mm-hmm. and they need certain other foods to help digest and break down certain things. And it was really interesting to see the way these does in particular would utilize. They would start on some oats or start on corn. And I would literally watch them go from oats to corn, oats to corn. You know what I mean? It was like right. getting their balanced diet. And then the same thing with oats and acorns as well. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and, you know, I the new Wicked Greens uh, blend that I did with Tecamani, you know, we did radishes, um, turnips, and oats in that blend um, because I know deer like oats. But it was um, it was very interesting to see just a straight oat field mm-hmm. and how effective it was um, in combination with that standing corn, right? And with a with a great mast year that we had this year with the acorn crop, right? Uh, I think is another reason why they were really destroying the oats. So it was just kind of one of those things that you know you'd heard about, you'd read about, other people have done it. But it was the first time I had really like seen it like, holy crap, you know, it's right. amazing how they're destroying the oats and, right. um, and and building that into their diet. That was an interesting takeaway that I had from from the way they had their plots laid out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've done, you know, of course, I have have oats in the in the greens plot at, at my dad's place. And I've, I've run in the past on one of the farms. We've run straight oats in the in the past. Um, and yeah, uh-huh. they, they just they hammer that stuff, dude. It's a. Uh, 
um, it's it's funny because like I, I think about it, I'm like, really, this is the thing that you that that you want to eat? You know what I mean? Like of all the things you could eat, this is the thing like this uh-huh. time of year you want to you want to hammer on. But it's it's uh it definitely works, man. You know, it's and it's one of those things too. Yep. A blend that has oats in it. It's like you can grow that shit in the back in the bed of a pickup truck. You know what I mean? Like it literally yep. will germinate if you just give it a little bit of water. You know what I mean? So it's not something that's really, really like, <laughs> yeah. you know, care intensive that you have to have the soil like perfect and, you know, really need to care for it and stuff like that. It's pretty hardy and, and it'll will, grow. Yeah. It'll grow just about any place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm curious, man, whenever you guys are set up in the tree for those, for those pictures and stuff like that. Right. And he's, he's in a separate tree, you know, and, and uh-huh. kind of watching your six in that, in that instance, do you guys, do you guys plan out like a hand signal or something that way if he sees something or you see something that yep. you can like have a hand, like a, some type of hand signal that says, Hey, big deer. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, obviously trying to keep the hand movements, you know, obviously, you know, down to a minimum. Right. Um, you know, I just, as soon as we got in the tree, I kind of looked at him and I kind of pointed to my eyes and I kind of held my hands out. Like I have this pie. And I pointed to him, mm-hmm. his eyes, and I'm like, and you have this pie, you know? Right. And he kind of gave me the old nod and wink. It's like, you know, we got our bases covered. You know, I got your six, you got my six. And and we strategically set him up um, to where he was directly in line with me downwind. Right. So we weren't creating a big, a bigger scent cone than what we needed to, you know? And then right. I was running myozonics, you know, on boost mode as well. Right. Instead of just a standard mode. Right. All Since right. we did have essentially two people, you know? Right. right That's there. the one thing that always kind of bugs me out because, you know, you know, coming to Iowa next year, and then we're getting off topic here a little bit, so I might have someone traveling with me that's willing to do some filming for either me or you mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. for the trip. And I've never done yeah. that before, which kind of bugs me out a little bit because I'm kind of anal about scent as it is. Um, yep. And so it weirds me out a little bit just knowing I'm going to have like another person creating stink in the tree with me. You know, so well, and you know, like we've talked about. I mean, um, you know, I use a lot of uh, I use a lot of cover scents along with myozonics. You know, okay, and uh, myozonics is there to kill my bacteria and my stink. Um, and my, you know, I use the big buck ruiner, uh, the cedar cover scent, and that's kind of my. Um, I don't know if it's my plan B. It's my it's my safeguard, you know, kind of thing. So right. I I try to use that to mask as much as I can as well. Right. Um, that combination this year has been so effective for me. Um, it's amazing. Like when people say, you know, oh, I've never been busted. I have not been busted this year. Nice. Yeah, this I got busted by a doe that caught me moving and she blew at me. <laughs> right. But she was upwind of me. Right. So uh I have not to my now, did I get busted from a big mature buck two hundred yards downwind of me? Possibly. Right. right. Uh, but I haven't been busted by does that were directly downwind of me. I mean I had a doe bed uh twelve yards from me directly downwind. Yeah, I'm and tr- she just bedded down and stayed there. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've so I got busted by that buck earlier this year that wasn't a scent bust. It was a I was cam locking my tree stand if you remember, and he he crept yeah. in crept in on me. I, I truly think he heard noise and just thought it was a deer in there, you know, rubbing a tree and was like, "Who who's this?" You know, hanging out in my spot. Um, you know, so he busted me, which wasn't scent. I did get I did get busted once in Ohio, scent busted, and it was only because. Where he was traveling from, uh, he he did exactly what I wanted a deer to do. He was just the wrong deer, and I knew I had a, a window of opportunity that it 
once he hit that window, I had my shot. And then once he got through that window, I was in trouble. You know what I mean? You're screwed. Yeah. 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 And I knew that um, going into it. And it was one of those things where it was swirling wind and stuff too. And dude, it's, it's funny. Like he was money. He stood in my shooting window. I think I told you this on a previous podcast for whatever it was, you know, five minutes, whatever, just hanging out, standing there, you know, giving me a shot opportunity. I was passing him and he took three more steps and just like hit a brick wall. You know what I mean? And it was literally like yeah. that much room was what I had to play with, but it was exactly what I needed. It's just, you know, wrong deer. Um, so, all right, well, let's, let's get into some of the, the stuff you learned about outfitters, you know? So what's like the, like, what are your big takeaways from, you know, hunting with an outfitter, like things that you, that you like about it, things that maybe you, you know, are, are less than ideal for the way you like to hunt, you know, questions you would have if you were going to do it again, or questions you would suggest people ask if they are considering doing an outfit hunt, like what's your overall takeaway? So, yeah, um, one of the nice things about an outfitter is, you know, you're not having to do the homework as far as where am I going to hunt? What public land am I going to hunt? Or do I have to just go there and knock on doors and try to get permission kind of thing? Um, you don't have to worry about planning for your accommodations where you're going to sleep. You know, am I going to sleep in my truck, a tent, hotel? Um, you know, that's laid out. Uh, meals for the most part, meal, you know, most outfitters provide some sort of meals or offer you some type of refrigerator to make your own meals. So there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that, and when you think about it, that's not hunting related, right? Right. And so maybe going to an outfitter does give you an opportunity to focus on just making sure, Hey, I'm just, I'm here to have a good time in the woods and I'm sitting in a target rich environment. You know, somebody else has already done the scouting and the homework and the food plots and that kind of stuff. And I'm here to possibly reap the rewards. Right. So there's the draw to an outfitter, right? Right. Um, you hope that it's a managed place and, and that you're going to have big bucks running around out there. And, um, you know, a guide, that's his job is to know where those bucks are and where they're going and where they're transitioning to where you and I, for 90% of our work life, we're staring at a computer. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's one nice, you know, obviously uh, to an outfitter now. Again, I thought I had some misconceptions about outfitters, and some of those proved true, and some of them were proved, you know, false. Um, I kind of made like a little list of like if I was to go on another outfitted hunt, the questions that I would ask. Right. Number one, um, know know yourself. What what are you expecting? You know, am I am I looking? You know, I'm going to an outfitter because I want a 200 incher, or you know, I'd be happy with a 140 inch deer, you know, so kind of know what it is you're after before you decide where you're going to go and who you're going to go with. Right. Um, questions to ask them, how many acres do they have and how many farms do they have and how many acres is on each farm? Um, how many hunters have they had in camp already or how many hunters have hunted a particular farm that they're potentially going to take you on? Um, the flip side of that is, how many bucks have been harvested off of that farm or combination of their farms. And by that, you're also going to know what their stats are. Right. You know, have they killed six bucks out of 56 hunters? Right. You know, those aren't very good odds. Right. Um, now, if that's a 180-inch minimum farm, well, maybe that's not bad odds. If it's a 130-inch minimum farm, it's probably not the greatest odds. Right. Um what plots do they have? 
Do they have standing beans, standing corn? Do they cut some of their corn? If so, when do they cut that corn? Do they knock it over? Do they, you know, what I call like mow, like mowing, sharecropping, scatter cropping? Right. Um, is it a bait state? Do they run bait? Um, what other kind of green sources do they have? Should the weather increase, you know, get warmer? Do they have oats? Do they have clover? Uh, again, depending on the time of year that you go, if it's late, late, late season, yeah, I want a bunch of standing corn. Uh, also, know what weapon you're going to take. So if they have a five-acre standing bean field, you're pretty straight with a muzzleloader. You might be out to lunch with a bow. Right. Um, how many guides do they run? Can you hang and hunt your own stands? If you get into a spot and you don't really like where their tree stand is, do you have the option to hang and hunt? A lot of outfitters I don't think are too keen on that because of insurance reasons. Um, but definitely I would be asking, can you do that? Because I would have want to have done that on my hunt Yeah, um, that's in one particular. Of the, that's one of the things there that, you know, if if i if i could i would like to do that and and have and basically have the guide give me like a 101 crash course of the property right let's look at some maps yep tell me how deer are transitioning to food here especially if it's in a state that i've not hunted before right what food do you have where mm-hmm. right what's that your intel telling you right now like where are bucks at where where are they not where's the doe bedding areas and stuff like that what time of year is it um, all the things you kind of mentioned and then let me say you can hang the stand for me. Cool. You know what I mean? But like, I want to go out and say, this is the tree I want to stand in. Like that would be, Mm -hmm. to me, that would be a happy medium, right? Because now it's like, I'm having someone giving me a crash course and I'm still making choices based on how I know I like to hunt or how I want to hunt. Right. Um, cause to me, that's still part of the experience. Right. It's like, I, I mean, I think you and I are kind of the same where it's like, I would, I prefer less someone just putting me in a stand and say, you're going to sit here. Cause then I have no, I don't know what to expect at all. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. At least if I know kind of what's going on in the land, I know what animals are around. I know where these particular animals have been seen and how the food is transitioning or, or not depending on what time of year it is. Um, and then I can say, all right, based on everything I know, I think this tree, this, you know, this draw or this, you know, you know, saddle is the place that I want to be. Um, then I'm feeling, then I'm feeling good about it. Right. And you and I've talked about this in the past, man, like part of like being successful mm-hmm. in this game is just being confident. Right. It's just like, yep. if I feel like I can kill a deer in a stand, I have a better chance of killing a deer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Than I mm-hmm. do if, I, if right. I have no confidence in it whenever I get into it. But I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to stop it. I had a thought there and I was like, you know what, in my, Oh no, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very, very valid. In my Robitussin, um, in my Robitussin state, I might forget it if I, if we keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, can can you can you pick which farm and which stands you hunt out of which kind of goes along with kind of the hang and hunt stuff um you know if they if the outfitter has access to eight farms are you can you only hunt one of those farms because you are assigned to one particular guide right right um and then uh you know what the what the rules are you know, what kind of minimums do they have? Um, what kind of bucks have been shot already? Um, you know, when a guy says, hey, I've got all these velvet, these giant velvet bucks were showing up. Okay. Are they still there? Right. Have we seen them? When is the last time you did a card pull? 
Right. If the card pool was more than two weeks, I'm a little sketched. You know what I mean? Right. Especially when it's the last card pool was before the rut. That kind of would make me nervous. Um, references. You yeah. know, can they provide you with references of, of hunters that have been there? Um, check out their website. See if they've got any testimonials. Maybe you know somebody who's hunted there before. If you have, call that person. Hey, what was your thought? What did you like? What did you not like about it? Is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, and some people might look at this or listen to this and say, geez, man, that's like a lot of questions. That's like, you know, like, good Lord, it's, um, you know, like you're doing an interview. Right. Well, do you have $4,000 just to give away? Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, this man. is a lot of money, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time, um, you know, for me in particular. You know, I left Iowa with a, I've got a landowner buck tag in my pocket and I left Iowa to go to this outfitter, you know, um, my thought process was, Hey, I was not going anywhere and my buck tag is still good when I get home. Um, and it's a great opportunity, you know, to go, to go to an outfitter and go do a project with Sitka. So I was looking forward to it. Um, and I don't have any, I still don't have any regrets going. Um, like I said, it was just. Right. I mean, I'm, I guess the textbook outfit hunter, I'm probably not that guy. Um, probably because I want to have a little more say on where I go and where I hunt. Right. Now, I think you and I are kind of in a similar, a similar bucket, if, if you will, with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I, uh, I've never done a whitetail guided hunt. Um, you know, it's like, and I, Look, if I had an opportunity to go do one, it's like I'm sure I would I would go do one. I look at those for me, and this is just me personally. It's like for anyone who has who likes them and, and enjoys going to do them, that listens to this, it's like then you know more power to you, man. It's like if that's what you if that's how you like to get down, it's like then I hope you kill hammers every year doing that, you know. Um, but for me, it's uh, I look at that as like phase two of my hunting life, <laughs> of when maybe my time commitments are you know in my professional life you know or family life or or physically you know I'm, I'm not as able to you know go out and put the time in that I do now you know and stuff like that then that becomes an option for me to keep me still enjoying the outdoors and still enjoying the chase and, and stuff like that like that's kind of how I see that hopefully I don't get to that point that physically I can do everything that I'm doing now to a certain degree um I did do one semi-guided hunt when I was in Alaska and when I say semi-guided basically the guy gave us a place to stay and then we looked at a map with him and he said there's bears and blacktail in these areas. I would go to these places. And so we were like, all right. And he gave us a truck and we took off. And that was basically the guy, which was cool because like, we just kind of got to go out and figure it out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that's kind of like the preferred approach that, you know, that I have too. It's like, let me do the more I can do of it, the, the happier I, I am, you know? Sure. Um, you know, yeah. And you know, like for example, the, the property that I shot my buck on this year, Last year, I really struggled learning the property, learning how the deer transitioned. And, you know, it, it, and we all know this, it, you know, every year you're on a property, you learn more and more and more. Sometimes you, you hit the nail on the head and there's, there's that textbook funnel or ridge or whatever, or draw that you can locate right from day one. And you capitalize on it. If your property doesn't have a lot of those telltale signs, 
um, then sometimes, you know, it takes a season or two to learn it. And this year I was the, you know, I got, I got the reward, right. Of spending time out there and being on it a second year and doing some food and, um, was, you know, was able to get in on a, on a good spot and, and got a good buck down. And I hope every year can, I continue to learn, you know, on that property. And one of the things that when you go to an outfitter, it's all new ground, probably a new state. And so you're kind of leaning on the guides, you know? Yeah. You guys know this property. You've been here several seasons. Like, you know how the deer transition. So they can kind of um, replace that knowledge for you that may take you a season or two to learn or more. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm like you, man. It's uh, I've got nothing against outfitted hunts. Um you just really got to know what is your style of hunting and are you okay with um, a person telling you where you should go and uh, stuff like that, you know, right. consequently, like, is it okay that if you do pick your own spots or kind of run around and, and, you know, I think I, th- I can only imagine it's probably a nightmare for, for guides at an outfitted joint if they've got hunters running around a muck doing hanging hunts everywhere, you right. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I kind of, I mean, I understand it from their perspective as well. And, and again, you know, anybody listening, if anybody is an outfitter, um, or his best friends or their dad or uncle cousin's brother is an outfitter. Like I'm not bashing outfitters at all. That's, that's not the point of this. Um, I'm just trying to tell people my experience and, and questions that from what I saw questions they can ask, and it might help them pick which outfitter they want to go to uh, or just have a better understanding as to what they're getting into if, they've, if they're if they going to one, you know, on the first time. Yeah. I mean, it's just you're just trying to do, you know, the research. You, you, what you're basically doing is giving people, people the questions to ask to do the research. That way, when they make a purchase of that kind of of that amount of money, that they feel comfortable yep. making that purchase. You know what I mean? It's the same thing yep. you would do. Because it's, it's a bunch. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not cheap. I mean, if you think about, like, it's not just the you know, whatever it is. I mean, I know they vary from place to place, you know what I mean? In terms of like what it can cost at an outfitter, you know, but four grand is two pretty to, much. Yeah. Two to 10 grand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Four grand is pretty much like, if you're looking at like a, a good Midwestern, you know, outfitter that you're going to get a, you know, you know, get on a, some decent farms or whatever. I mean, it's usually in that four to $6,000 range is probably your average, right? That's what I, you know, at least the people I know that have gone out, it's been like four to six grand is what they've, is what they've spent, you know? And I know that they, they, they can, they can go up higher, of course. You know what I mean? That's, you know, they can be more expensive than that, but I would say like as a general rule of thumb, that's probably in the, in, in the ballpark. And if you're going to spend six grand on anything, like that's just the, if you think about it, man, that's just the cost of entry, right? Because like, there's still a tag you have to get and some outfitters will, it's like, that is inclusive of tag. Like they'll help you get your tag and some places it's not, you know what I mean? So it's a tag on top of it in a lot of cases. Plus it's whatever your travel, cause it's not airfare or driving or anything like that. You know what I mean? So it's like that all kind of factors into it too. You know what I mean? So it's like at the end of the day, I mean, you're spending six, $8,000 probably just to like, at, you know, at a minimum to, to do this and all costs included, you know, and any extra gear you have to get and stuff like that. If you need to, you know, buy anything before you go, and if you were going to spend six grand on anything else, you would do your research and make sure what you're getting into is, you know, what you're buying is actually, you know, what you're buying, you know, that it's accurate. Um, the one thing I did want to mention was when you said, you know, you know, talk to people, try to find a, a previous customer, if you can talk to them and stuff like that, or talk to a family member, like 
put out a message on Facebook or Instagram. People love to share their experiences about things. I mean, that's, there's like, you know, you don't even have to know the person and just, and you'll probably get more than one. And then you'll really kind of have a good idea of like the broad range of people of experiences that people have had and know you'll get the guy who absolutely hated it. Who's probably mad about something other than the hunt. You'll get the guy who absolutely loved it that probably knows them. And then you'll get the guy in the middle who like had a good hunt and had this type of experience. And then you'll get kind of like both ends of the spectrum and then a middle person. And now you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get into for the the amount of money you're going to shell out. Um, so I wouldn't turn our nose up at doing a little bit of, you know, um, social crowdsourcing on, on things like that. It can be helpful. Um, but is there anything else to add about the, uh, about the, the outfitter stuff? Or are you ready to jump into a, a, a quick late season chat? Um, there was one other thought that I had on the outfitter thing. Um, oh, it, it, you, well, actually you, you kind of mentioned it. The, yeah, whenever you're getting the references, you know, think about it. Like when you go on Amazon and you read reviews. Um, you know, some of them, it's like, you got the best one, you got to throw it out. The worst one, you got to throw it out, you know, look at the ones in the middle or whatever. But yeah, yeah, some guy may have been like, Oh, I hated the food. Right. That's like, that has nothing to do with the hunting quality (laughs) or whatever. And right. Um, and you know, and, and keep it all in perspective, you know, what kind of weather were you at? Um, that kind of stuff. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, your goal is to go there and, and harvest a good deer and have a good time. Um, but again, it's a lot of money. It's a lot more money than what you would spend if you did a DIY hunt. Um, theoretically, the plan is that you are you should have higher odds, you know, going to one of those places, right? Right. Um, but if nothing else, you know, you got meals, you got a place to stay, a place to sleep, you know, and um, and shower and, and wash your dirty butt, you know, each night and that yeah. kind of stuff, and be sent free for the next day. Um, but had a you know had a great time. You know, the guides were extremely friendly, um, had a great time with Brock and Austin. And, um, you know, we kind of made the best out of it. Like I said, other than the, you know, conditions just weren't, they weren't ideal. They weren't horrible, but they, they weren't, they weren't ideal, you know, but, um, it was a good time. Get to go to another state and, you know, being in a tree is never a bad thing. Um, oh, I know what it was time on stand. Mm -hmm. So you know, we all have those days where you're like, ah, what, you know, I'm thinking about hunting today, but man, I really don't have the right wind or the weather's not the greatest. So you don't hunt, you know, you stay home and you wait for the next day that you have off or you have a potential to go and the weather or the wind's better for you. Well, when you're on an outfitted hunt, you're only there for five, four five, six days, right? Right. So you want to make every opportunity, you know, it's like you're going to hang out in the lodge all day. So you go hunt. Um, so some days you might be hunting on low percentage days and that can kind of grind on you a little bit Mm because you're like, "Ah, I didn't see anything today. You know, I probably shouldn't have hunted, but what else are you going to do? Play Monopoly, you know? So, um, that's another, that was another unique thing about being on an outfitted hunt. Cause in reality for the weather and the wind that we had, you know, if I was there five days and you divide that up into morning and evening, that say that's 10 hunts. I probably personally would have only hunted four or five of those hunts. Right. If, if I lived there and it was my house and that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? My ground. Right. Um, four or five, five or six of those hunts I was hunting in the back of my head. I'm kind of like, eh, if I see something, it's going to be like a puncher's chance kind of thing, you know? Right. Right. 
Yeah. So that was another takeaway from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I go through, I go through, you know, even whenever I'm on trips, you know, the DIY trips, it's like, I have that same kind of struggle, right? Cause it's, I'm there for however many days that I've planned to be there. And then I feel obligated to hunt, even if the conditions aren't ideal. Um, cause to your point, what am I going to do? Sit around, you know, in a, a camper doing, doing nothing. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, so you feel like you should be out there, but in some cases, you know, that you're, you're doing damage. But the nice thing is when you do it DIY is that I can go wherever I want. So I don't have to go to the spot where I feel like I'm going to have the best chance. I can go to, you know, a quote unquote kind of burner spot and set up, you know what I mean? Be like, you know what? I'm just going to go up and set up, set up over here. If I see something great, if I booger it up, great. Cause it really isn't where I was planning to be anyway. And then, you know, you, you head back to like your, your prime locations, whenever the weather, you know, and wind and so forth kind of dictates. Um, so that's the other benefit, I guess, of doing a DIY is, you know, being able to kind of make those decisions, those types of decisions too. So, yep. all right. So with that, we are both back in our home States and we are yep. staring squarely. You've already got a buck on the ground, but you also have some additional tags to fill. I'm staring squarely at, at late season to try to fill at least my Pennsylvania buck tag. Um, and, uh, it's, I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough go for me. You know, it's like, I'm going to be positive, you know, and I'm going to grind it out as I always do. Um, but where I'm kind of, where I'm kind of at is in my obligations, like around the weekends and stuff like that. Like I really don't have any more vacation time to take off. So my hunting all is all going to happen basically during time off that I have for Christmas and stuff like that. And then, you know, and then weekends, of course, um, ATA will be in there somewhere. So that'll be a weekend that's gone. Um, so a lot of the hunting is going to happen probably around my house here. You know what I mean? So it's going to be probably a lot of public land slash like suburban type hunting on some small farms. I'm, I think I'm going to have access to one small farm that a buddy of mine and I are, are going to hunt. Um, that he had, he has seen, oh, actually he killed a buck on it. So, um, and there's a couple of nice deer that are still there. And, uh, so my, my opportunities to sit specifically over food are going to be few and far between. I probably will get back to my dad's at least once and sit on the greens of the wicked greens plot, um, uh, and see if I can't make some action happen there. Um, cause I guess, you know, I, I guess the rule of thumb here is, you know, and I don't know how you approach it, man, but you know, it's, you know, probably, you know, very similarly it's at this point, you know, you know, even right now I would consider rut to be over. You might get that you know, flyer, that's a cruiser just kind of out, you know, trying to get that very last piece of tail, you know what I mean? Like on a whim, you know, possibly, but by and large, it's like, I'd say mornings at this point are kind of shot, um, turning attention back to just really only evening hunts, unless you have some type of camera Intel telling you something can, can be killed in the morning. Um, and then just really prioritizing food at this point, you know what I mean? And that's kind of like the, you know, that's kind of like my plan, you know, and, and, and like I was saying, it's going to be a rough go. Cause I don't, the public land that I do have access or that I do have around me that I've been hunting, there's not a lot of food on it uh, other than browse. Um, the good news is there's a lot of browse. Um, the only other positive news is some of those bucks that disappeared on that piece of public that I was, uh, that I was chasing that were bigger uh, in the swamp. Um, they disappeared during rut. Uh, and if they hold true to their patterns and kind of resituate themselves back to their bed to food pattern, they should be coming back. Um, so that's kind of my one my, my one chance on that property outside of like the one farm I might get to hunting and headed to my dad. So that's kind of my plan, man, is, you know, prioritize that, get back to hunting evenings, sleeping in for the love of God. And then, uh, 
and then trying to get on food when I do have access to, uh, to, to some food, whether it's corn or whether it's wicked greens or whether it's, you know, a place with heavy brows or whatever the case might be. So what's your plan, man? Uh, so for my landowners tag, um, my best opportunity is, is my food, my, my wicked greens plot. I've got an elevated blind. Um, that's kind of, that's, that's my only legal option right now. I still have my landowner doe tag and my landowner buck tag left. Um, and then, so I'll be heading to Texas next week. Um, going to go down to South Texas with my bow and try some spot and stock action down there and never hunted Texas before and then never tried to spot and stock, uh, some whitetails. So it's really, it's going to be a situation where I am trying to rattle and get drawn on a bow when he's uh, on a deer when he's not looking at me. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. I don't have a camera guy for the hunt. Um, I'm, so I'm going to throw a DSLR in my backpack with a jug of water and rattling horns and a grunt tube and that's it. And just strap the bow on my back and, and just go give her, you know, um, go give her some hell. Yeah. And then, um, so while I'm down there, it's going to be the start of our shotgun season here. Mm -hmm. Um, I've already reached out to, um, one of the shotgun drivers in the area Mm -hmm. and I said, Hey dude. Just a reminder, stay off my lease. Right. Like, don't drive my property, you know? Right. Oh, no, no, no. Nobody in our group drives that property. But last year they asked me if they could kind of thing. So I'm like, right. oh, boy. Right. So anyways, I got that situation to deal with. And then when I get home, um, second shotgun season will be coming in. So I'm still sitting on the sidelines. I won't be able to hunt. And... Then when that lets out, then I have my late season archery buck tag that will come in and my art, my landowner tag will still be valid. Um, so, uh, game plan is food. Yeah. Um, a lot of evening, you know, like you said, a lot of, a lot more evening sits on food is, uh, is going to be my game plan. And I have wicked greens over at my lease down the road. Uh, cameras are still soaking, Oh, I, I was going to tell you one of uh, one of my shooters. He was kind of like my number two shooter on my home property. Mm-hmm. Um, he went and decided to get in a fight and break off the whole left side of his rack. Oh man, that's a bummer. Right above <laughs> the brow tine. That's a bummer. It's gone. Well, yeah, he's uh, he's probably a fifty-five, fifty-five deer, but um, was anyways. Right, but um. I'm like, ah, oh, you son of a gun, you know. Right. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that no one will want to shoot him in shotgun season. I was just thinking that it's like it might be a little bit of a blessing in disguise that he's able to make it through and get another year worth of age on him. Yep, yep. So, um, anyways, um, but I, I have, I'm still getting a lot of activity. Uh, over at the lease, uh, again, you know, the scrape movement and that kind of stuff has slowed down some, um, but they're still checking them. Um, uh, but they're, they're definitely starting to come to the wicked greens a lot more, right? Starting to eat a lot more oats. Yeah. Um, starting to start on the turnips a little bit here and there. And I'm starting to see a lot of, uh, forage and, and yield, uh, some, some yield pressure they're putting on that, which is great. Uh, that's what I want them to do. So right. that's why that food is there. Right. And so that's going to be my game plan for the, for late season. A lot of, a lot of turnips, radish, oats, 
um, you know, evening sits. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, my, my game plan is kind of the, kind of the same, man. It's, uh, you know, it, what, late season is actually one of my favorite times to hunt. I don't know why I always get excited to hunt, hunt late season. Um, you know, I guess I should say, you know, I've mentioned at the top that the you know, gun season is now in, in Pennsylvania. And of course that's why, you know, I'm not able to get back out until, uh, you know, the second archery season comes in the 26th of December. So the day after Christmas. So I always... so you guys in, in PA, you cannot archery hunt during gun season. Uh, no, as far as I know, you can't like, I know I'm, and I'm not an expert on this, so don't quote me, but I'm almost a hundred percent positive. You can't. And then, and then it, like archery basically shuts down until December 26th. If, if my memory serves, okay, I may be wrong. If, some, like if in, I am in wrong, Kentucky. Well, I was just gonna like say, in if, Kentucky, if, your archery tag is good all year. Right. You just have to wear orange if it if there is a valid gun season going on at the time. But you can continue to use archery equipment in Iowa uh, during gun seasons. You are not allowed to archery hunt unless it is that late muzzleload season. And yeah. then this is now this is really weird. You have to wear orange if you're muzzleloader hunting. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wear orange if you're archery hunting in muzzleloader season. And I think it's the same in Pennsylvania. Don't quote, don't quote me on that, but I feel like it's the same. It's kind of weird. Yeah, that is kind of weird. It's, and and we basically, I think ours is kind of very similar to what you guys have going on to where we can't hunt during, during, during rifle season here. It's not shotgun season. I mean, you can use a shotgun, but most people Uh here, you know, use a rifle. Um, You can't use a bow during that time period. As far as I know. There may be, you know, and this is one thing I didn't look into, and I might be kind of screwing myself here, because there may be sections in PA that you can bow hunt, because, like, say, for example, around where I live, right? Like, there's that some of the places that I can hunt, archery hunt around here, even on certain pieces of public ground, aren't big enough that you could actually legally shoot, use a, a, a firearm on. You know what I mean? Because even though it might be, say it's 25 acres or whatever, it's like, you're never going to be in that entire 25 acres. You're never going to be more than like a hand, like a couple hundred yards away from a building to be able to actually use a, a mm-hmm. firearm. You know what I mean? So, um, I'm those places. It might be one of those things where there's a couple WMUs and PA that you could actually get away with archery hunting on certain, in certain places. Um, but I feel like, uh-huh. I feel like they just shut it down completely just to, because it would be hard to kind of regulate like, okay, so this piece you can, but this piece you can't. Because even within a, you know, like within a WMU where I live in 5C, it's, there are pockets like that that I'm talking about, small pieces of public land that you can hunt that you can't gun hunt on because it's too small. Um, But within 5C, there are still larger chunks of public land where you could gun hunt. So how are you going to regulate parcel by parcel? You can't, right? So I feel like, I feel like they just shut the whole, shut the whole thing down and it comes back into the, the 26th. So, so I'm looking at it right now. Uh, archery season statewide September 29th through November 12th and then December 26th mm-hmm. to January 12th WMUs September 15th yep. and November 24th and then the 20 uh, December 26th through January 26th yeah. man that goes late yeah yeah we're pretty late out here on the eastern um so i think in most of the state it's it's and it ends like mid January and then here on the eastern part of the state a couple of WMUs out here and then a couple WMUs out around Pittsburgh, basically around the like closer to the metro areas. It extends to the end end of January. Yep. And then WMUs 
November 26th to November, uh, to December 8th for firearm. Um, all other. Yeah. Oh, WMUs 2B, 5C, 5D. Yeah. All other WMUs November 26th to November 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, and December 1st through December 8th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 5C and 5D so, are the two, are the two units that I, that I hunt out by my So house. there's like a one day reprieve on the other WMUs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Is interesting. That on a Sunday. Uh, no, it's not, man. They don't want, we can't hunt Sundays, man. It's, it's one of the things that I know that they've been trying to address, um, over time. And I've, I've been hearing for the past two years that they're making some headway. Now what that means, I don't know. Um, it's one of those things where, man, I just, I hope they eventually pass it. It would be awesome if they did, you know, now I will say this, the Pennsylvania game commission did do the bow hunters a solid because, of the Veterans Day holiday kind of falling on that Monday. They extended the archery season an extra day and allowed archery hunting on Monday, uh, on that Monday. Instead of closing it on the 12th, they closed it on the 14th, I think it was this year, um, to give everyone everyone an extra day, which was nice, but I'm like, just give us Sundays. <laughs> hey, here's something I just read. In the firearms deer seasons, it talks about, this is like the arms and ammunition you know, so archery deer seasons, it's saying, you know, long recurve compound, minimum 35 pounds. It mm-hmm. talks about that kind of stuff. Yep. Persons hunting deer in archery seasons cannot possess a firearm. Nope. Except people licensed to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, to, 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 then you go down to the firearms deer, sec, deer seasons. It says manually operated center fire, rifle, handgun, blah, blah, blah. Semi-automatic centerfire shotguns that propel single uh, muzzleloader long guns, any type 44 caliber larger, uh, muzzleloader handgun 50 cal or larger, and then it does say long recurve or compound bows and crossbows with broadheads of cutting edge design. That's in the rifle season. Yes. Really. Hmm. Yep, and then and it says C special regulation area section for restrictions that apply there. Um, Interesting. I, the way that I read this, I, w- I mean, the way that I would read that, I would read that that you could archery hunt during firearm seasons. And the the way the the dates that I was reading before were referring to, you know, when is it archery only? Right, because that's how I've read it. Was that was what it, you know? I I always read it the way you you had first like read it and interpreted that those seasons were kind of blocked off. Mm-hmm. But like now that we've kind of uh, dove into the details and you did your uh, your cop investigative work, it seems like I may be able to get out with a with a bow. Now, with that being you said, you might be able to do that. Well, with that being said, I will I will be a hundred percent honest here and say. I don't know that I necessarily want to be in the timber during during gun season. Just, when the second largest militia in the world is in the timber, okay, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, so there's and I'm just I'm just I'm not even trying to be funny. It's like I'm just being 100 percent honest. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know that um that I'm interested in doing that. You know, just being just being honest. Like it's it, it gets a little it gets a little wiry out there, man. You know what I mean? Like now on private ground, it'd be one thing. You know what I mean? Like I'd maybe go back and. And hunt, you know, my dad's farm or my dad's place because nobody hunts it. It's, you know, I think my dad hunted it today because he was in Maryland the past couple of days hunting um, 
uh, hunting deer there. Uh, their, their gun season opened, and he was he was down there with some family hunting. And then he was going to hunt opening day today, and then that was it. And then, you know, so it's only getting hunted today, and I only hunted it three days. So it's still been pretty well left alone, so I could probably hit that and be pretty safe. Um, but aside, but you know what? I might actually investigate that because I might be inclined to go back this weekend and hunt it. Actually, if, uh, I would definitely look into that because I, I believe the way I read it, I believe that yes, there is an archery only season, but that you can still archery hunt in a rifle season. Use your now, archery I don't know. Yeah. Do you guys have a different tag? Do you have to buy an archery tag or versus a rifle tag? No, you just have to. You have to have an archery stamp, or it's it's not really a stamp. It's like an archery license, I guess, if you will. Like it's an extra piece of so, paper. So theoretically, if you wanted to hunt rifle season, you don't have to buy anything no. extra, and you can go hunt with a rifle. No, that buck tag comes with your purchase of your license. So when you buy, that's your what I'm st- saying. So, yeah. and that's yeah, the so same like in- when you buy. A general license is basically a rifle license, and then you buy an archery stamp. An archery stamp that you can use that buck tag that came with your license for with archery equipment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the way I would read it, brother. I, you know, well, if, if again, I get if I get stopped not, by not the my, game warden, not my state. If I get stopped by the game warden, <laughs> I just be like, hey, man, John, Utah, do you know him? Like you should give him a call. He told yeah, him cool. do you know him? Yeah, he used to be a cop in Kentucky. He he's he he's got a question about PA. Is he going to hunt here? No, no, he just has a question about it. Yeah, he just had a question <laughs> about it. I might actually hit up the old PA game commission. Just shoot them a a message and uh, just to get it squared away. That way, I know I'm all legal steagle if I go out this weekend because I'm supposed to go out with my daughter, but uh, I think she's a little on the fence about doing her first gun hunt. She was kind of all about it this past weekend, and then she kind of she got cold feet. Um, once we got back home and we started shooting some, our bows this, this over the weekend. And cause I wanted to make sure she knew where to place her shot, you know? So I was like, let's shoot our bows. I was like, cause you're going to shoot, you know, you're going to aim at the same spot, you know, you would with your, with your bow, with your gun. Um, and she shot her gun over the, you know, Thanksgiving to kind of make sure she was good to go. And, um, as we were doing that, I don't, I think she kind of was starting to wane on the idea of, of going out this weekend. And I don't want to force her because it, if she wants to gun, if she doesn't want to gun hunt, like that's fine. As long as she wants to continue to shoot her bow and I can get her in a tree stand with a bow when she can pull back enough and she's old enough, I'm down with that. So I'll give up this battle to hopefully win the war. Mm-hmm. So, well, cool, man. We've been jabbering on, man, for a little over an hour, dude. I think we covered everything that we wanted to cover. We got the, uh, we got the, what, what do we call the opening segment? It was uh, not questions for John, but I forget what we called it already. I'll have to listen back to it and remember that because we'll have to continue to do our little trivia segments. I like that. And then uh, we, of course, the, talk- uh, the questions for John to find out how dumb John is when it comes <laughs> to like real shit that we should have learned in school. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I wasn't much. You and I basically had the same answers, so there you go. We're, uh, you know, we're. we're bring- it's a Kentucky education. It's not my fault, right? We're we're collectively, you and I are bringing down the IQ of the listenership every episode. So <laughs> everyone out there, you are welcome. People are going to be listening. They're like, God, these guys are morons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So we covered everything, man. We covered our Ohio, the Illinois yeah. hunts. We covered the outfitter stuff, the late season questions for John, the dumbing of America. Um, so I think we're good brother. So with that dude, I will, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon and, uh, you enjoy this little bit of a reprieve from hunting. I think I'm going to do a little sleeping in. Sweet. Sounds like a plan, dude. 
All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast. That would be super rad if you would be able to do those two things uh, for us. Also, before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Like November's on my heels Makes me proud Makes me steal I could show you through the door If it all It takes a special No one to call a fall Damaged heads Broken letters Rationalize Yourself in numbers But I Gotta get away From here Gotta get away From here oh, All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.